Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together entrepreneurs, founders, business leaders, and experts to talk about their journeys and explore the link between personal and business success. I'm your host, Juan Munson, founder of Evolve, a coaching, training, and development company focused on enabling business and personal success and creating a community of like-minded individuals. Whether that be through our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, our training and development programs for you and your teams, or through our content and events, our mission is to get the best out of each individual and inspire them to be better both in life and in business. If you want to learn more about Evolve, including our beautiful co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul, then please go to evolvemembers.com where you'll find great content, insights, details of all of our services and also information on our forthcoming events. For now though, let's get on with the show. Welcome to this week's episode. Today I'm talking to Christy Garcia, a California-based leadership coach, speaker, facilitator and founder of the Mindful Choice Leadership Academy. After a decade working as a recruiter and sales manager in the corporate world, Christy grew frustrated at witnessing talented people being promoted to management and failing to reach their leadership potential. This sparked her desire to leave that environment and start a leadership coaching business, which she has now been successfully running for over 11 years. Christy has worked with a number of prominent organizations, including Airbnb and Twitter, and one of her specialities is helping leaders manage their ego. This was of particular interest to me because I know both my personal experience as a business owner, as well as helping others, that your ego can be both a help and a hindrance when it comes to growing and leading a successful business. I wanted to learn more about the role that ego plays in our approach to leadership and what measures we can take to contain it and make sure we're utilizing it in a way that makes us better and more empathetic leaders. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome, Christy, to the Evolved Succeed podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to visit with you today. Brilliant. I'm really excited about a conversation that we're going to have about what is ego, how people can manage their ego, how ego affects leadership. You know, that is your area of specialism and really interested to learn more about that. But I suppose for our listeners, to begin with, you need to put your own story in a bit of context. And there's a couple of things that I came across during the course of doing the research of the podcast. And I suppose the first is um, how in 2009 you fell from a 30-foot fire escape. <laughs> yes. Um, and it's an episode that you've said gave you huge kind of reality check and that perhaps that moment to stop and pause and marked the next chapter in your life. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about that story, that experience, Christy. Yeah, you know, I think we all have uh, that thing that kind of wakes us up and says, hey, is this really the path you want to be on? And that was my definitely uh, life-changing moment. I I was kind of living this really great life. I was 29. I was living in San Francisco, um, traveling world. Actually, England is one of my favorite places to be. I used to go there four or five times a year, see friends. And um, I just had this morning where I was throwing a holiday party and I was out walking my dog. It was raining. It was the weekend before Thanksgiving. And our building always locked itself. And so we did this all the time where we would get locked out. We go up to the top of the roof and walk down the fire escape and then crawl into our window. Really dumb idea, but you know, at the time it worked, everybody was doing it. So why not? (laughs) Um, and yeah, so this morning it was about nine o'clock. I was walking my dog and I 
realized I got locked out, went to my neighbors, asked her if she could, you know, hold my dog and if we could go through her, her bedroom window and my bedroom, we shared a kind of a fire escape platform. And so I'm like, can I just go through your window so I don't have to go all the way to the roof because it's so wet outside and, you know, all that fun stuff. And she uh, said, yeah, 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 let's put the dog in the house and we'll, we'll go through the window, whatever. So we went, she's in front of me. Well, I uh, was talking with, like we were on the ground and we were just going about our business. She was holding the Christmas trees that I had just put in my window and I uh, walked right into the manhole. So there was a two by two uh, manhole that you just usually would climb down the ladder. I fell right through. And so somehow I miraculously made it all the way through all three floors and hit, you know, the bottom. Um, somehow I landed like a cat to where I didn't have any internal smashing, which is really crazy mm. in itself. But I was in medical, um, cells. And so, you know, the thing in my head was, okay, this is going to be really bad. And I just remember I'd already started coaching, kind of already started my own journey. And so I just, I won't forget it. When I walked in, I felt like that cartoon Wile E. Coyote um, that with the Roadrunner. And you know, you always fall in the black hole and you could just hear him go, wahoo-wee. <laughs> I, I was like, that is this moment. I know what that feels like now. <laughs> so I basically felt that and I just told myself, okay, you can either breathe and relax or you're going to try to, you know, prematurely yeah. try to stop this and it's just not gonna happen. And so I took a really deep breath and I just remember getting knocked out on the second floor and kind of did these flips um, to get through all the holes, got through. And then I finally woke up on the bottom um, and I just remember the crazy person to me is, can I wiggle my fingers, can I wiggle my toes? Okay, I feel like I'm good. And my poor neighbors, I think were way more traumatized than me. One poor man saw it as he's on a conference call in his kitchen window. So see me fall through the air. And the other one, my girlfriend who's at the top watching this whole thing had to climb down to get me. So definitely probably more trauma for them since I was out of body experience. <laughs> but, you know, I think the real crazy part <laughs> was the aftermath. When um, the paramedics showed up, you know, my, my go-getter brain was like, I'm good, I've got a party night, let's get me to the hospital, let's get me checked out, but I'm good. And they're like, yeah, that's not really how this is gonna work today. Um, and because I was a medical rep, I knew all the hospitals. I was, you know, in and out of them weekly. And I told them which hospital I wanted to go to. Like, no, we got to go to this other one, which is like 30 minutes from my house. And so I was kind of annoyed, like, whatever, you got to do your business. And so I get there and I'll never forget. It's like the Grey's Anatomy show when all the interns are waiting at the door and they're so excited for the smashed person that gets, you know, to show, th walk through the door. So I was that girl they were waiting for and they were all so excited. And I'm like, hey guys, I'm really sorry to disappoint you. I'm on a time schedule. I'm the girl. I'm fine. Like, check me out and get me out of here. <laughs> you could just tell they were like so de deflated. Um, but once they got me out of there, it was, it was a really eye opening change in my life because it took about two weeks for it to hit me that I even went through that experience. Um, I was so incredibly fortunate. I just had about five stitches on my chin and really just, you know, um, got some bruises and, you know, torn ligaments, that sort of thing. But nothing, nothing that was life changing as far as physical. And I, um, so about three weeks later, my coach at the time, <laughs> I call it my most expensive cry. She asked me how I was. I said, I'm good. And she said, no, really, how are you? I'm like, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm ready to get back to life. And she asked me one more time, Christy, how are you? And I just lost it. And I, I didn't even know what I was crying about. It was just that 
reality that, oh my goodness, you know, the emotion that our body holds, the ability for us to silence and say we're fine when we're not, um, really piqued my interest at that point. And that's when I started to do my own ego work. Um, by the ego, I mean the unconscious brain, right? It's just those unconscious habits, mindsets, beliefs, behaviors that we have. We don't even know we're doing them. And so this whole time I thought life was good. I thought I was great. I thought everything was hunky-dory because I was living the dream. I had this great house. I had this mm-hmm. great job. I had all these friends. I was traveling the world. Like on paper, it looked awesome. Um, but when I had to stop, that's when it was like, wow, I, I don't feel like I'm fulfilled. I was happy, but I wasn't fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And that that's a different you know, mindset for me when I started to dig into it. Um, so that's that's kind of where the fall really shifted. Yeah, it's that, yeah, I suppose for, and we all have them in our lives, don't we? And probably have a number of them in life, but it's that reality check, isn't it? And yeah. there's a couple of things, you know, you've said there. And, and I suppose that, you know, we all say it and we all go, yeah, I'm fine, you know? And actually part of that good mental health and trying to care for people to say, no, how really are you? And, you know, that yeah. is interesting to hear you say, that was probably the wake up moment that came out the fall. It wasn't necessarily the fall itself. It was that kind of when somebody's checked in yeah. with you and and you've stopped and you thought about it. And then they, that person, that coach could have easily just skipped on, right? Okay, Christy, okay. what are we going to do today? We're good. But they didn't. Yep. And we're good. Yeah. And um, yeah. And interestingly, that then you kind of relate it to, call it your own conscious mind and 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 your ego and is that what you would describe the ego is your unconscious mind i mean what we all hear about this term you've got to manage your ego but what do you actually define as your ego christy yeah i i look at our ego as our unconscious mindsets behaviors belief systems anything that helps facilitate how we show up um you know, the thing with our ego, it's both our strengths and our weaknesses. I don't think our ego is all bad. I think it is part of our power. I think it is part of our strength. Um, unfortunately, I also believe that our strengths are our weaknesses. So when we overuse our power, when we overuse our strength, that's when it really starts to be that negative ego that shows up. Whether for me in that situation, I have a controller ego that has to put on a show and act like I'm fine all the time. And I am a chaser, so results are my thing. As long as I was looking successful on paper, I was a happy girl. Um, as long as I you know, was feeling like I was doing the things I want, I was a happy girl. But in the reality of all that, that controller doesn't slow down enough to get the emotion side of their story, it just sees the tactical. And so that's really when I started to figure out, wow, um, this ego is real and it, it impacts all of us. And one of the, I think the, the harshest reality of that whole situation for me was because I was in the hospital all the time, Um, One of my favorite pastimes was to have lunch with um, patients who were in the hospital by themselves. And the reason for, you know, I came from a big family, the thought of even being in a hospital by myself, can't, I don't even process that thought. And so I was so curious, why are they in here by themselves? Why are they dying here by themselves? This is the saddest reality to me. And when I asked them, uh, the same story happened over and over again. And most of the time it was men and it was always, I worked so hard, you know, when I was younger to provide for my family or I, I worked and I did so much to, um, you know, be successful that I didn't make my family a priority or I didn't make life a priority. And that really resonated with me because we can all identify people who are like that in our lives. We can, whether it's our parents, whether it's our siblings, whether it's our friends, um, <clears throat> whether it's ourself. And I was that person. I think that was the saddest thing for me is I always associated that with, you know, sad workaholics that are sabotaging the relationships. 
I was a single girl living the dream. Like I was fine. But really that story just looks different for our generation. You know, it is going to be women in there too. And that was the sad reality. It wasn't that I had the family that I'm, you know, not showing up for. I didn't make space to even create a family. I didn't have space to even have a house or build a home. And so I was going to be the 60 year old living in there because I was just an auntie or a sister or a friend um, instead of a mom or a wife or, you know, a partner. And so I think that that, that was the saddest reality check for me was, wow, I'm moving so fast. I'm living such this, you know, picture perfect life for a single girl. Um, but I didn't really start to look at it as that's not just what I want in life. I want more. Um, I want a family. I want a home. I want a successful career. And do you think that is, do you think that was you and your ego and your personality? And, and you, do you think you were doing that of choice? Or there's an interesting one here about the world around mm -hmm. us and social media and expectations and yep. we've all got to be successful, we've all got to be career, you know, career yep. driven and you know, success is doing all of these things and being all these people. And so do you think it was your personality or do you think the environment around you was driving you to behave like that? Um, I think it was very much my personality. I think it was very much me thinking that's what I wanted. Um, and at the, at the end of the day, I think it was what I wanted, right? It just never shifted out of it. Uh, I, I used to start, I was coaching a lot in um, the city. And it was funny because I always would call the, the guys I was coaching. It was like, oh, they got this Peter Pan syndrome. And, you know, by the time they're 37, 38, they're like, whoa, I don't know if I still want to live this life. Um, women usually do it between 28 and 32, I was finding. And so, you know, I think it was just that shift in reality of, wow, when am I going to stop and say, eh, this single life is fun, but this isn't all I want in life, right? And I think we live in a world that makes it very easy to never have to shift out, um, especially being in, you know, in the bigger cities like San Francisco, you can be a kid forever. I mean, there's no, you don't even see kids unless you leave it, right? And so it's like, you can get sucked into that world and not think you're missing it because you're not around it. Um, and so I think that was kind of, where my personality absolutely wanted it. Um, this great, fun, super wonderful life. And I think I told myself, well, if I'm single, then you know this is where I need to be. But then when I would go home and I had all my nieces and my nephews around and I get to slow down and live that, that more you know stable, grounded life that has more of mm -hmm. the family feel to it, um, I would almost get nervous there actually. And like, okay, now I'm ready to go back to the fun. Um, because again, you have to train your brain to slow down. And I think that's where I realized the ego was sabotaging those good intentions. The ego was sabotaging that chapter of the life that I was saying I wanted, but I wasn't building out the space and starting to shift my own mindset to accept that that's what I wanted. Um, so I kept living where I was and it was great and it was amazing, but it wasn't, you know, growing with me. It was just kind of the stale world. And was there a light switch moment? You know, obviously you talked about the coach, mm -hmm. them asking you if you're okay, that kind of real emotional outburst. And did it change instantly for you then? Or was that then a start <laughs> of a journey to kind of really realize who you were, what you were, yes. and to get you to where you are today, Christy? Such a good question. Man, if we could just change that, get that flip, switch flipped and be done, right? Um, no, it's definitely a life-going yeah. life journey. I, uh, I'm still on the journey. But I think in that moment, it was about probably a solid six months where I had to, I had to dig deep. Um, I think the, where I started to do the work, that was a December. I would say about January, February, late January, early February, 
you know, the holidays were over, things started to slow down, things get a little quieter. And that's when I really started to commit to myself. Like, okay, um, the ultimate thing I realized is I was emotionally unavailable to people, whether it was my girlfriends, whether it was my family, whether it was um, a, a lover. I mean, I just, I wouldn't make myself available to anybody. And so, you know, I think that was the hardest thing for me is how do I ask for help? How do I ask, uh, how do I let people in? You know, I was the girl that had it together. So people called me and told me about their problems and I was like the support system to help them through it. Um, I was the grounding force. So how do I not, you know, show up that way and like let someone see my vulnerable, uh, my real. And I made a commitment to myself. I called, I probably had 20 girlfriends that I, um, I knew I wanted to bring on this journey with me, but I wasn't sure all of them were gonna make it through this part of my life. And so, because I had to redesign my relationships, I had to really ask them, um, here's the deal. I need you to ask me how I'm doing. And I'm gonna make it a commitment that if you ask me how I'm doing, I'm gonna be honest with you and I'm gonna tell you, no matter how good, bad, or ugly it is. And at first they're like, okay, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, and <laughs> I'll never forget my friend Sarah, the first time she called me and I was having a bad day, I just started crying and she's like, um, um, you're not the friend that cries. Why are you crying right now? I don't even know what to say or do right now. I'm like, I know, but this is like a new me and I just need you to listen. You don't have to fix anything. You know, so it was like we were both having to learn how to be in this new relationship with each other. Um, now we cry and laugh together all the time. But you know, it's, it's an amazing thing when you, one, give yourself permission to show up, but two, you have to almost prepare your people around you, right? When you're a tough, strong individual all the time, and then you're asking people, hey, I'm not going to be tough and strong all the time. I kind of need you to step up and be tough and strong too. Uh, it really gives pe per people permission to show up. Now, with that being said, I did lose several friends that couldn't make that commitment because of their own stuff. Um, it wasn't personal, but they had their own ego stuff going on that couldn't allow them to be available in that way, mm -hmm. which again, no hard feelings. Luckily, I've done the work, so I knew it wasn't about me. Um, so, you know, I think it just allows you to take who's supposed to be on this journey with you. I was a person that had a lot of friends that I took in all my chapters with me. And sometimes people are just supposed to be a part of the chapter and you're supposed to let them go. And so, you know, I, I learned how to compartmentalize, um, friendships in a way that allowed it to be healthy where before I think I compartmentalized it for it to be healthy for me, but not for everybody around me. Mm. If that makes sense. Definitely. Definitely. And you talk about ego having a you know can be good as well as bad and I suppose in my mind I've always thought about ego gets in the way yeah. so you know perhaps explain to our listeners where you think or you know that belief that ego can be good as well as bad yes um so there's three egos there's the complier uh the protector and the controller the complier is the people side of us it uh it's where our empathy and our compassion and our our need to be liked and cared for. Um, and then you've got the protector, which is our integrity, our authenticity, where we speak our truth, where we hold our values, um, where we you know, stand by what's right. And then there's the controller, which is um, driven by you know, being the best and um, getting results. And there's a lot of motivation and charisma there, a lot of um, image and you know, achieving great excellence. And so, you know, we need all three to be a very well-rounded individual and especially, you know, our leadership. Uh, that's why I do it in the business space, because if you can build a leader who uses all three egos at its, I call the 33% sweet spot, um, you're getting a full capable human that uses all three. So you're getting the human, 
uh, the authenticity and the vulnerability and the you know integrity, and then you're also getting the results. And that's really what we all thrive for. Unfortunately, when we cross over that 33%, we start to overuse these gifts. Um, and so when you think about a complier who overuses their ability to comp uh, be compassionate or empathize, they might put someone else's needs before their own. Um, they might not be able to hold someone accountable because they really don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. They might not be able to um, have boundaries because, again, uh, they don't want to rock the boat or make things uncomfortable because they're really, they're motivated by being liked. And so that's their overuse of their strength. Um, where the protectors, overuse of their integrity and um, you know values and being right, it's a very black and white brain when you have a, uh, you know, I either have to be right or I'm wrong. Um, and so when we look at a protector, it can be very extreme emotions or no emotion at all. And so knowing how to find gray for the protector. Uh, the protector has the biggest heart, so a lot of them have very big, you know, Fort Knox built around them and they, uh, it's really hard for people to get in. And so they keep everybody arm distance away, um, but they also love the deepest. And so again, it's a very extreme emotion that you can feel from a protector. Um, in a workspace, they could be the one that's very, uh, can come across as that loud, arrogant guy in the room or the quiet, you know, passive person in the room as well. And so knowing, you know, that that's just motivated by their own own discomfort versus them being a bad person. They're overusing um, their protector. The uh, where our confidence actually confidence uh, at 33 percent is great. It's confidence, right? Uh, when we overuse it, it's arrogance. And so knowing the difference of when when is that strength overused. A controller, on the other hand, they are you know fast moving. So that's again what I was. I was a controller protector, and so not only was I fast moving, but I also had very strict boundaries. So I could be a total pain in the ass to people um, when I wanted to. <laughs> but um, you know, I think that's where knowing, like you know, I I, uh, I used to tell people, you know, as long as I'm a sassy bitch, I'm a, I'm fun and everybody can hear me. If I'm not sassy then I'm just a jerk. And that's where I could really start to understand how these egos get um, misrepresented in the workplace or even at home in our relationships. Because if we don't understand the unconscious motivator behind them, then they can come across as intense. They can come across as too direct. They can come across as speaking too much truth when really it's just your opinion. Um, it can be coming across as passive aggressive or um, overly aggressive, not passive at all, right? And so again, knowing where does your ego take you to to that darker side. For the controllers, because they move so fast and they're results oriented, they put tasks before people. Uh, and so there's no emotion behind the reasoning. They just wanna solve a problem, get to the finish line and move on from it. And so that that's usually where their biggest um, downfall is. Uh, getting results is great, but if you're there at the finish line by yourself, who really wins? And so, um, yeah, that's where the ego really shows up in all of us. So I get it and I can understand that. And I can see the, you know, perhaps what I'm thinking of as ego is traditionally the controller piece because that's mm -hmm. probably the one we see, but it's that kind of mix and that we've all got a different bias. And I suppose the coaching and the leadership programs you run must start with us understanding who we are, which is always a great place, isn't it? And, yes. and where our bias is. Um, Absolutely. Because obviously we must all have a natural bias and a natural split that probably is rarely a third, a third, a third. Um, <laughs> yes. And I suppose what I'm interested in is, you know, if you've, if you do that kind of, you know, test and you understand or, you, you know, the discussion with you and people realize that their bias is, you know, 40, you know, 
20, 40 or whatever it may be, then what techniques are there? What, how do you get somebody to then change their bias? Because surely some of it is naturally the person we are, who we are, our energy center, all of those kind of things. So I'm intrigued yes. to know the techniques that you would deploy to go, actually, you know, you're too much of a controller, you need to be a bit more of a complier and, and how you get people to do that. You know, it's so incredibly powerful when people do make the switch. And I think the self-awareness and ownership are the two biggest factors. You know, so many of us think we're self-aware. And just because we know we do something doesn't mean we own that we do that thing. Um, and by owning it, I don't just mean saying, yeah, yeah, I do that. I'm a jerk sometimes. I get it. Um, no, I'm talking like owning it and saying, wow, when I, you know, get, I, for me, a perfect example, I'm a very passionate individual sometimes. And so when I, you know, get into that passionate tone in my voice, I can come across as very intense, very direct, and it starts to sound like I'm angry. And that's when, you know, I overuse that. And so before, and even I still do it with my husband, my poor husband, he's amazing. Um, you know, he'll still be like, okay, you're getting really defensive right now. It's like, no, I'm just really passionate about this topic. <laughs> um, <laughs> I but, just really wanted to. <laughs> right, I just really want my point to get across. And so, you know, I think knowing and owning that, okay, just because I want to get my point across doesn't mean my perception and the impact I'm creating isn't intense and too direct and not going to get the impact that I want, mm. right? And so I think that is really where the ego can help us and surface is when we can take that deep, deep ownership of, wow, what's the impact I'm creating here? It's not what I'm doing or what I'm intentionally wanting to do. It's what am I actually, you know, how am I showing up? What's the actual impact I'm creating? And does it match the intention that I want to create? And I think that is the difference when people start to truly see their ego in real time. And not just saying, yeah, I'm self-aware, I know I do that. Um, it's one thing knowing it, it's another thing owning it. And I think once people start to own it, I don't have to do a lot of the work, right? Once you own something, once you see your dark side, once you know that you're being a jerk, it's really hard not to own that and say, wow, I did just do that, I'm really sorry, right? But before that though, the ego hates to apologize, the ego hates to own it, the ego hates to admit that they're wrong, and so instead they just combat it, they get defensive, they ignore, they avoid, they walk away, and they make it someone else's fault. Um, and so that's typically how the ego works. If we can own it, we can change it, and usually we intentionally choose to want to because no one's intentionally a bad person. No one's intentionally being a jerk. No one's intentionally trying to hurt someone else. Um, I mean, obviously there's, uh, psychotic issues out there in the world but 99 percent of people want to show up as their best self good yeah yeah definitely i, sp I suppose the, one of your challenges must be though in terms of working with existing leaders is that piece around showing up and being vulnerable yeah because if you've got a leader whether he you know his or her ego has got in the way yeah that's kind of their status quo and you know their team and the business they lead won't be used to them being vulnerable. I mean, it goes back to your conversation mm -hmm. with your friends and showing up and saying, "Look, I'm just going to share, and I'm going to, you know, I might be in tears, and you know, but you just got please be with me on this journey." But that's there's a difference between I think perhaps doing that in your personal life and doing it yes. from a business perspective when you've got a business that's successful. And it's been led in that way. And it's not necessarily a health, you know, I'm not advocating it's a healthy mm -hmm. way of leading a business. 
but it's, it's driven success to a point. You know, what have you seen and, and maybe some success stories or how do you, yeah. how have you seen sort of the, I suppose it's nearly the alpha female, alpha male kind of leader that doesn't show their vulnerability and how have you changed them to become vulnerable and what impact has that had, Christy? You know, I love that because I think there's two sides to vulnerability, right? There's the complier that's almost too vulnerable and shares too much. Mm. And then there's the controller side that's not vulnerable at all and shares nothing. And I think it's finding that balance for everybody. And what I love about, um, I call it mindful, intentional leadership, is when you get to just be real. And I think in the past we have, right? The hard, tough leaders are, are the ones that win. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they do win, but they're usually at the finish line by themselves because again, that controller energy wins. Very rarely does it fail. But what is the definition of success, right? Is it just the bank account? Is it just mm-hmm. the big, you know, fancy toys? Is it just, you know, the bottom line of the budget looks good? Or is it you're getting all your team members there with you? You have, you know, good um, uh, employee retention. You've got a great culture within your organization. People want to work for you. Like, I think that's where, that's the difference of old school leadership and this new mindful, intentional leadership. And when you can be mindful and intentional, it's not that you have to go on stage and, you know, ball your eyes out and say how, you know, terrible things are or how emotional you are about things. Um, mm. But I think it's not being scared that if emotion shows up in your conversation because you're passionate or you're excited about something, um, then that's not powerful also. You know, I think also identifying a lot of times, I work with a lot of startups um, and there's a lot of emotion in startups, especially the last few years, you know, uh, mm. with all the pandemic and you know the economy and everything i mean there's just a lot going on in the world today and you know business partners go through a lot together it's basically a marriage and so i do a lot of co-founder coaching to help Mm -hmm. them you know one take identification of their own ego but then also how to be real with each other it's just like in a partnership at home if you're if you're not real with your spouse Mm -hmm. you're gonna have a very unsuccessful unsuccessful marriage right and so uh, your business partner is the same way so when you can learn to just be real um, be able to handle each other's truth. I guarantee that everybody is scared of the same stuff, right? Business owners are all scared of failing, all scared of you know not being good enough. And so when you can start to just talk about those fears together, when you can start to talk about the elephants in the room, that's vulnerability. Um, that's just allowing people to say, hey, this is what's going on. We can either talk about it or we can order it and act like it's not, but that's making mm. us testy and it's making us emotional and it's making us aggressive and it's making us avoid. Um, and so being able to just be real in conversation, acknowledge the truth of the reality, and then be able to make conscious and intentional choices from there, it gives everybody a clearer space. It gives a more grounded opinion, and it allows you to be more proactive in your approach versus reactive because we're acting like none of this ugly stuff is going on. No, definitely. And I can see, and we've seen in the, some of the work we do at Evolve, where we talk about um, sort of that kind of, you know, term like holistic success, that per, the bit that you can't have personal without business success and vice versa. You've got to have that balance of success. And I, and I think, you know, it also works and I I get it. And we've, some of the co-founders and business partners that we've worked for, you put them in a room together and, you know, part of what we do is coach them like you do to talk to each other. And some of the conversations that take place when you can just get them to open up, you know, we've had, We've had, you know, best one of the best examples is a business that we were going to work with towards an exit and a sale, 
and we sat them down in the room and we said like come on let's just talk honestly about this what's the motivation why do you want to do this and they were doing it for they thought they were doing it for each other neither wanted to do it yeah and, and but then nobody or they hadn't facilitated that dis- discussion I suppose in your world they were both being the complier weren't they they were both mm-hmm. thinking that's what the other wants that's what we'll do but yeah, yeah go along honest get conversations along. but again I, I think yeah it's just that kind of piece about yeah you know getting people to talk getting them to share um, and how it affects leadership so I suppose I'm really intrigued you know you r- successfully run the Mindful Choice Academy um, mm-hmm. how does that compare to perhaps a traditional leadership training program Christy? You know it's a good question I think I get that a lot as far as um I think traditional leadership coaching, you get some of the personality stuff in there, you get some of the human stuff, but a lot of times it's more tactical, right? It's more skills driven, um, topic focused. Uh, you'll get your communication, you'll get your delegation. We do all of that, but it's about the human first. Um, you know, I always tell people if you go through the, the Mindful Choice Academy, every other program from the re- for the rest of your life, whether it's a physical training program or, you know, a book you read, it's going to just sound differently because what happens is the ego is what's processing everything. So if you say, hey, I want to change today, I want to be a better leader. If you're not doing the self-discovery work and getting deep, deep into what those egos are doing, then it's going to bring up your old habits. You're never going to be able to change them because you're not conscious enough of them. And so really where we're different is that deep dive into self-awareness and ownership. Once we have self-awareness and ownership, then we start the ego management process. Now you're aware of your ego and you can change it. If you are not aware of it, you cannot possibly change it, right? And so being able to, again, do that shift really dramatically in about three months. And then from there, um, it's usually about a six month program. And so the first three months is self. How do I, you know, one, recognize even what I do in real time. It usually takes about six weeks where I'll get the phone call from participants that says, wow, okay, I get it. I seen the ego in real time now. Um, you know, oh yeah, I did that thing we talked about. And so, cause a lot of times, again, we're not even aware that we're doing it. Even if it's right there in our face, it's been done a million times. Um, you don't see it until someone truly shows it to you and points it out and tells you what it looks like and then the why Mm. behind it why are you doing it you know we talk a lot about the motivators and so when you start to understand the motivator of your ego it's so much easier to see it in real time and so then once they get through that first you know two three months of ownership and ego management then we start talking about productive communication having more successful relationships at work and home um, how to delegate you know most leaders don't delegate because their ego's in the way And so again, whether you're a complier and you don't delegate because I hear all the time, well, it's a really tedious task. I don't want to put this on anyone else's plate or, oh, you know, I just no one's no one's showing up. My employees just aren't meeting the deadlines. Well, that tells me that the leader's not showing up and they're not motivating and holding people accountable. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, again, just being able to change language so people see it as not their story that they tell. The ego likes to blame. It likes to accuse and it likes to judge. And so if, if a leader is doing that within any you know way, shape or form, as we're talking about specific things that upset them, it's like, OK, we get to point out that that's an ego tactic. What's your part? Um, you know, I think the ownership part, the f- first question I ask anybody when they start to complain or point a finger at someone, what's your part? Is it one percent or ninety nine percent? You cannot own 100 percent of this. So what's your part? And as soon as we go there, you start to see empathy. You start to realize like, oh, wow, I did not hold them accountable or, or oh, yeah, I, I gave them a free pass or I was kind of a jerk in that situation. I get it now. And once we can get people there, get leaders to that spot, you just start changing entire teams 
communication style. An entire organization, especially when whole teams go through this. You know, I've had a room of 25 directors in a room and several of them, you know, would start pointing fingers or you had all the controllers who are aligned and, you know, results talk, uh, talking points. And then you had all the compliers and their talking points and um, they usually do this. And when you can stop and say, okay, what's the outcome we wanna create? And you start to point out the egos in the room and everybody starts to take their part in the ownership of it. It's no longer, you know, we're not doing this because John down the road's not doing it. No, it's, we're not doing this because I didn't do my part. Um, and it doesn't matter what anyone else does. If I do my part, then that one, that, you know, we're 5% closer to the end. And I think that's the real power when you can start doing the shift of this ego management component. Um, delegating, you know, collaborating, uh, aligning, talking a common language so that when you do do the tactical trainings, when you start to tell people, you know, giving them very specific ways to, to delegate, giving them very specific ways to communicate, their ego's not in the way and they're actually going to apply it. And I think that's the power of the Mindful Choice Academy. Brilliant. And I can really see that and I can see, I can absolutely see where you come from, what the program's all about. I, I suppose my question would then be, how do you sustain it? Because surely to a certain point, our ego's in, a, in us, isn't it? And there is a little bit, it's, you know, if you're into your 40s and that's how you've always been, somebody can show up on a training course and a calendar and go, oh, God, you know, I've been a jerk, <laughs> you know, and I need to change. And they go on the course, they change, but at some point does your human inner nature kick back in and how, how can people sustain the healthy change in terms of their ego? That's a great question. You know, I think that comes back to it's life work. Your ego doesn't go away. You know, I always tell people, um, if you think you're going to, you know, manage this ego once and you're done for life, it's not how it works. The ego changes with us, <laughs> and it some days are louder than others. You know, it's triggered by emotion. It's triggered by life. It's triggered by change. So, anytime you get a new job, anytime you get in a new relationship, anytime uh, you buy a new house or do something different, or the world around us is out of control and we can't con change that, right? That that all triggers our ego because it has us working in a higher level of emotion, stress, uh, fear, you know, all those things is what gets our, our ego going in survival. And so if we don't find tools that keep us conscious and present, if we don't have, you know, resources that we're constantly doing to keep us again, aware of our ego, then it will sneak up. I always have clients call about two to three months after. It's like, yeah, I haven't been practicing this stuff. Um, because again, we think we fixed it, we're good, and then life happens and we get busy again. The ego loves to keep us busy. Uh, when we're busy, we don't have time to be intentional. We don't have time to you know, have productive conversations. Mm -hmm. We don't have time to get curious. And so helping people slow down, helping people manage that, um, that way of being so that you're just, again, more intentional with every action choice and decision you make so that your conversations stay healthy. And again, you're living your life. You're intentional about who you are and how you want to show up every day. Brilliant. And I saw a fantastic, beautiful actual LinkedIn post by you. Oh, it was a, earlier last year. It was about being present and how actually six ways to be present and just being present in the moment kind of helps you keep control of your ego. And, yes. I, and, I, and I read it and I thought it was a great post. And now I get it. Having had this conversation, I really get it, you know. I think you're talking about slowing down and breathing and being, you know, write a list of things you're grateful for and just pausing, taking time, asking questions, moving. Yeah. And I, I just thought yes. it was a great, great post. Oh, I love um, that. Very much believe, you know, about being present in the moment, but I can now see how that allows you to check in with yourself 
and therefore check in with your ego. Absolutely. I mean, they say that the second you stop and say, am I present? You're present, right? And so you can just slow your brain down enough to say, hey, I just want to have a breath. You're going to be more intentional because of that moment. Um, the ego moves fast. It thinks fast. It talks fast. So if you ever catch yourself feeling your heart rate go up, um, maybe you're talking faster. Maybe you're moving faster. Maybe there's not enough time in the day, so you have 50 things you got to get off your list before you pick up your kids from school. Uh, that's all the ego just moving you through life, right? You're just unintentionally going through the motions to get through your day. Slowing down actually makes you more productive. It allows you to intentionally choose what's a priority because the ego makes everything a priority. Everything was supposed to be done yesterday. Um, and so we're never able to just enjoy what we're doing. And that slowing your breath down allows your head and your heart to talk so that you're actually thinking clearly. You're grounded in who you are and what you're doing. And you can say, hey, am I focused on what I can actually control right now? Am I focused on what I want to be doing? Am I okay? Um, just having that moment allows you to choose your next thought, action, and behavior versus your ego unconsciously choosing it and reacting for you. Brilliant. And I, I suppose that, talk, that, that goes back to that conversation about living an intentional life that you spoke about earlier in our conversation, which, yeah, yep. I think, you know, would be a really, is, is and would be a really powerful thing for us all to lead, wouldn't it? I really have loved this conversation. It's, you know, it's one of those conversations I think I'm going to reflect on in the days ahead. Um, I always end with this question. I'm intrigued to ask this question of you is, what's your personal definition of success, Christy? Ah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think it's, for me, it's definitely has simplified. Um, my personal definition of success is being awake, being able to wake up, look myself in the eye and ask if I'm happy. Um, you know, and it's not just what I've learned is work doesn't just make me happy. I love my business and my, it definitely plays a role in my happiness and my, you know, identity, but does, it doesn't make me happy. And, you know, I think being able to now really know what it means that I could get hit by a bus this afternoon and am I happy right now? Did I make my choices well today? And I think that is as simple as it gets. Enjoy what's in front of us, live life fully and just... Yeah, be intentional with the people. Tell people what you want to tell them and um, make sure if it's your last conversation, Brilliant. you don't have any regrets with it. Brilliant. Beautiful. Thank you. Um, if people want to learn more about you and more about the Mindful Choice Academy, where can they go? Uh, they can find me at my website, mindfulchoiceacademy.com. Uh, LinkedIn is uh, Christy Garcia or Mindful Choice Academy as well. And uh, obviously, you know, good old fashioned email, Christy at mindfulchoicecoaching.com. I would love to hear from anybody and uh, stay connected. Brilliant. Thank you, Christy. Thank you for being a wonderful guest on the Evolved Succeed podcast. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, Warren. Thank you for listening to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable, informed and inspired individual and business leader. If you enjoyed this episode, then please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing. We really value your feedback and would love to have you along for future episodes. And please don't forget to learn more about Evolve by going to evolvedmembers.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week.